Welcome to Clockworks, a Legion podcast. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And today we are talking about the second volume of X-Men Legacy Legion. Are you not are you not doing a pun? The second like like second oh, of a clock. It was too subtle for you. It was too subtle. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Because, like, <laughs> clocks have second hands, you know? I get it now. I get it. Because, like, Clockworks is the name of our podcast, but then the just, second volume... Just keep volume... explaining jokes. You know what makes jokes funnier? <laughs> explaining them. <laughs> so we talked about last year, in between seasons one and two of Legion, we did a episode all about the first volume of the X-Men Legacy Legion comic. And we said we would do volumes two, three, and four if we reached a certain amount of support on Patreon, which we did. Hooray! So here we are doing that. And by the way, in case you're curious of why, of all things, we set this as a goal rather than many other things we might do, it's because this, it costs money to buy the books. So we attached a Patreon goal to it. Other things we might do, like a recap, like a, an episode about Deadpool. Um, it costs like $2 to rent Deadpool. <laughs> so that doesn't seem like it's necessary for it, that to cost money, right? It costs free if we get it from the library. Woo! So we are talking about um, the individual issue numbers. This is X-Men Legacy from 2012. It started with number one, even though it was number like whatever. In, the, in that <laughs> annoying comics way, that when we started looking for it, it was like, hey, this is actually kind of difficult to track down. Yay. But volume two comprises of issue seven, seven to 12, including, uh, so there's three issues that are kind of single stories and three issues that are uh, an arc. So we'll kind of talk about the arc together. Yeah, but if you want to go find it and read it, uh, this is X-Men Legacy Legion, written by Simon Spurrier, illustrated by Tan Huat, starting at issue seven, but that's volume two. And you can find that digitally on Google Books and through the Marvel app, which is where we found it. You probably can find some of the individual issues at your friendly local comic book store, and you certainly can get it ordered through your comic book store if you tell them I want this they can order it for you. Mm-hmm. Right? I think so. I think it's not out of print, so no. you should be able to. So let's just dive into it, hey? Anything let's. else we need to go over? Okay. So this volume of X-Men Legacy starts with an issue called Holy Ghosts. So David fights with what appears to be Professor X mm. in his mind cortex. He visits an anti-mutant church and fakes being a convert to try to discover Luca's prophecy from book one. The star cops show up and end up arresting everyone in the church. Ruth tags along with David as an astral projection the entire time. So that's the basic summary of that issue. Yeah, and by the way, maybe we should have said this, but I'm not going to reorder it. We're this issue and we also make reference back to volume one Mm -hmm. you want to know what happens in volume one 
go back and listen to our episode about that and we'll <laughs> summarize the whole thing for you or go and read the comic. Absolutely. The cover of issue seven, before we go into the actual story, all the covers of these are very striking. Mm-hmm. I really like all the covers. I'm going to be honest, issue seven is probably my least favorite cover of this volume, but it's my least favorite among things I like. Um, and it's uh, floating David in the foreground, kind of uh, with psychic projection coming out of his hand that uh, goes around and becomes the blindfold covering Ruth, uh, codenamed Blindfold, who is the background of the paint of the cover. Mm-hmm. And maybe we can um, say that what that signifies for this issue and for this whole volume is it shows the connection between them. Like these are our two main characters. He's in the foreground, but she's a major presence in the background and they're connected to each other. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's anything about this cover that is more significant for this particular issue? I don't think so. What struck me about this cover, with no necessarily significance, but her blindfold almost goes into her hair and it looks a little bit like Rogue. Hmm. The stri- <laughs> like a streak of, of white in her hair. Right. It's just kind of reminiscent of other X-Men comics in that way. Mm-hmm. So what do you think of this issue? I liked it. I like these first three issues especially. We'll get into them more as we go along. But I liked this story of, I mean, it was kind of shoved into a space where I like had to remember what all happened because it had been like a year since I read the first volume. But I kind of read it over a second time and like, him going into that church and pretending to be a convert and to get information about this prophecy. I don't know. I kind of feel like it works. It's a good world building Mm -hmm. with how everything is, how people are feeling about mutants right now, because it's always the case in X-Men comics. You kind of have to get into like, okay, what is the world viewing on mutants (laughs) right now? Right. Because sometimes in the world, people are, fine with them and sometimes people are like there's a really strong anti-mutant sentiment in the world and clearly this starts off the whole volume with anti-mutant sentiment and it's not just about world building right like it is but it's also about uh theme building Mm -hmm. like this whole volume is going to be about anti-mutant sentiment and what is David going to do about it? Mm-hmm. And that's what we come back to, like, that's what the whole entire volume is about. And the, I feel like this first issue is a template for the whole volume. Like, you can see in it, David goes in, he pretends not to know what's going on, he gathers information, he has an ulterior motive, he, he the narrator is unreliable, we're not getting all the knowledge of the situation that David has until the end. We kind of get a sudden shift in perspective at the end, and that happens in several of the issues, and it also happens in the volume as a whole, right? Mm -hmm. And that David's purpose through the whole volume is, uh, we see in miniature in this issue, that he's got the two purposes, and it's not quite clear to us as readers, which is his main one, that are like, Stop the big prophecy of 
the end of the world and also do good for mutants. And those two things in like it turns out in this issue and then it turns out also by the end of the volume that like what he really cares about almost always is I want to make things better for mutants. Yeah. And what we're kind of led to believe he cares about is I want to pretend, prevent the apocalypse. But that's not really what's motivating him for most of the time. And specifically Ruth. Yeah. He wants to make life better for her. Yeah. Especially as the story goes on. And I like in this issue, uh, he says something about a date and then, like, a few panels later, he's like, what is up with you? And she's like, you said date. And it's really sweet. I, like I that don't it... love that. No? I love, well, okay. Actually, I think it's the art in that panel that I don't love. Mm. The concept of it is fun, but the art, I think she's a little too, like, I don't know googly eyed and like i can't think about anything other than that you said date i think it's too much Mm. yeah i don't love the way she reacts to it yeah it is a bit of a stereotype yeah i thought it was cute it is cute but also i don't know i don't love it fair Um, enough i do love in this whole in the first part of this volume that uh blindfold is following him around and he can see her but he she doesn't know he can see her mm-hmm. i think that's really clever yeah and i also really love that about halfway through the volume he's just like i can see you you know <laughs> yeah that i think is great and i really like too that they kind of defuse defuse the possibility of this false conflict of like oh he's going to continue forever doing things with her not knowing that he can see like no at some point they could just end that yeah they play it long enough that they get the enjoyment of like haha mm-hmm. and then like okay let's just end this mm-hmm. um i think the mutant is a metaphor for gay thing is a little heavy-handed in this especially in the beginning of this issue yeah yeah i agree it often is can be uh, a problem in these issues that, like, in, in X-Men in general, that they want to hit the metaphor pretty hard. Yeah. And it can take away from the story itself. Well, and it weakens the metaphor, right? Because yeah. when you push it too hard, you start to notice the ways that it's uh, the weaknesses in the metaphor instead mm-hmm. of the strengths in it. Yeah. What's best about X-Men as a metaphor is when it can be a metaphor for any kind of marginalized group. Yeah. Um, but they're like, I'm in love with a mutant. And then the guy's like, you be in love with a mutant is a choice. And like, yeah, of course it is. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. For you to actually say, except that you're trying to draw a parallel between being gay is, between uh, people saying that being gay is a choice. And that like, but that doesn't make any sense for mutants. Yeah, exactly. You know? But that, I mean, that went by pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I really like the space justice ball. <laughs> and how it just shouts, space justice! <laughs> so is that space justice ball the inspiration for our, the space justice ball in the show? 
I don't know if it's the inspiration, but it certainly is reminiscent. Yeah. I mean, it's not the only time you would see a sphere like that in in fiction. So I don't think it's a direct parallel or a direct influence necessarily on David on uh, Noah Hawley. Mm-hmm. But I do think that it's kind of a fun coincidence that to have a sphere following David around. I also really like uh, near the end of the issue when the space cops soared uh, as a associated agency connected to shield their shield and their sword um the sword folks come down and the one person with them is this telepathic alien whose name by the way is sid mm-hmm. uh, who lo- i just love the telepathic alien who only says things that we've already figured out yes <laughs> i'm sensing they want to confess like yeah they just said they want to confess <laughs> i think that <laughs> joke was very funny yeah I also like that all they need to do is take off David's hat and for it to see his hair for to recognize who he is. <laughs> it's just like this is the one identifying characteristic of David is his giant hair. Yep. So that's fun. Um So the central theme of this issue, I think, and I said this already, that's connected to, I think, the central theme of the volume, mm-hmm. but it's all about like being proactive or being reactive, right? Yeah. Like David's whole thing is that he doesn't want to sit around and wait for the bad guys to do bad things and then react to it. He wants to do something first. Mm-hmm. He's and, very annoyed with the X-Men for not doing things first. Yeah. And in this issue, it basically works out fine, right? Yeah. In this issue, we're given a sense that, like, yeah, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> Don't wait for them to kill people. Do something about it first. Although, even in this issue, we're, I think, have reason to wonder whether this is actually a great plan. Yeah. Because so many things could have gone wrong. Yeah. So, moving on to issue eight, Ballad of the Glory Hog. David shows Ruth a mutant child named Santi who gets credit for whatever happens around him. He's called a positivity thief. They're in the astral plane when a red demon thing shows up and in David's mind, Professor X bites him and takes over, causing the demon to retreat. David then sends a message to Ruth to meet him for a date. So the majority of this issue happens on the astral plane. Yes. With them watching the life of Santi and then defeating this weird red demon-y thing. Right. The cover of this issue also, I mean, I didn't say, maybe I said, all the covers are painted by Mike Del Mundo. I'm not going to give credit every time because they're always the same. Mike okay. Del Mundo does all the cre- all the covers. Um, the cover of this one is someone doing an oil painting of David uh, in the foreground and then him posing in the background and uh, the artist is holding up his brush and the brush makes David's hair. Mm-hmm. This one maybe is my favorite of all the covers in this volume. It's very clever. I think it's very clever. I think it's very striking. I think it's like really well composed and then also like 
the model seems actually not to have any hair. And so the brush is making the hair. But who famously has no hair is Professor X. And so this is X-Men Legacy is all about, fairly explicitly, is all about David being the legacy of Professor X. And is that good or is that bad? And we have here, like, the hair is what makes him David. And without the hair, he's Professor X. We have the painter uh, adding an element that make, turns him from Professor X into Legion. Mm-hmm. We have the painter perceiving him as David when he actually is Professor X. Like if he's sitting there with no hair and the painter is adding the brush so that perceiving him as being different from his father is a perception, not a reality. Yeah. It's all very interesting. I don't know that it uh, actually makes any connection to the issue specifically. Mm-hmm. Well, it does because in the issue he fights this red demony thing while being taken over by Professor X. So the world is seeing him right. as David, but he is actually controlled by Professor X in his head. And like you said, we should be clear, you said Professor X and for this issue, let's just continue to do that. But let's also say explicitly this golden skinned guy in David's head who says that he's Professor X probably isn't actually Professor X. No, almost certainly isn't. But he looks like him, so we have no other way of describing him. He looks like him and claims to be him. Yeah. Right. I love in this issue Santi's powers, Mm -hmm. like in, in conception, the idea of a mutant whose power is that people give him credit for stuff. That's very clever and very interesting. I really like it. It almost reminds me of the Purple Man, Kilgrave, yeah. in Jessica Jones. It's not quite as as much, but it just like this idea of being able to to influence so many people around you mm-hmm. and to uh, take credit for things that you didn't do reminds me of his ability to manipulate people. And I feel like Santi could go in a terrible direction. Yeah. I mean, and David kind of says that, like, he could, if he goes into the debate club, he could become president, basically. David says that as if that's a good thing. Yeah. I have to, like, really flag, this is something that I raised both my eyebrows at, that the book presents, and I'm going to put it in a way, like, okay, the book presents the fantasy of an undeserving glory hog becoming president. And as if that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And in 2018, that feels um, not like a good thing. No, not so much. I think even in whatever, whenever this was written, 2014, was it? Yeah. I think even in 2014, like a little bit of thought would show that that's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. That like he has the opportunity to do something. It's a pretty naive view of the writer to be like oh if you give him the opportunity to be good of course he will (laughs) like uh if he never has had to do anything to get credit for it why would he though yeah he wouldn't know how to really Mm -hmm. but particularly in 2018 like we have someone who has gotten credit for uh stuff he hasn't done in the office of president of the United States. And it does not, 
It is not ideal. No, definitely not. Another little moment I really enjoyed in this issue is Captain Ultra and his, like, I think his whole thing is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that's just the very beginning there. Captain Ultra shows up and saves the day and is like, I don't know, gives a little speech about how he's Ultra and it's funny. Yeah. There's a lot of humor in this. Like, who's the writer again? Simon Spurrier. Simon Spurrier is definitely brings the funny and I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is a particularly funny issue. Mm-hmm. I like to David and Ruth are having this big conversation. They're talking in the astral plane, and then this weird demony thing shows up, and David goes on a tangent about how like it had no he had no idea it was coming. He was ready to like kiss Ruth in the astral plane, and then suddenly everything is interrupted by this weird de- demon thing. That weird interruption. There's a there's a there's a very memorable issue of Animal Man by Grant Morrison, where Animal Man fights like a shark in the background, while Grant Morrison, as a character, walks around in the foreground and is like, "I just wanted to talk to you about vegetarianism, and I decided to put a fight in the background to add some visual interest." <laughs> uh, and it's for my money, Animal Man is still the best thing Grant Morrison ever wrote, but. Um, this strikes me as a little bit the same. Like the conflict is all in the astral plane and it's the actual conflict of this issue is all a moral internal conflict of Mm -hmm. what is it that David should do? How should he interact with someone? And then like, let's add a fight scene so that there's, you know, at least some kind of violence in this comic strip. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Except that by the end of volume two, uh, and we had a little chat off mic about whether we'd spoil to the end of the volume and decided, yes, we would. So uh, by the end of volume two, it turns out that that psychic bug thing is Red Skull as a psychic, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of these things in both in both of these issues so far, the little things that seem like throwaway moments or distractions are seeding for the end of the volume. Yeah. Like the pill in issue seven that they try to use to explode david's mutantness comes up again in the last issues and their supplier is the big bad of the last three issues Mm -hmm. and And santi comes back to kind of save the day at the end as well so like all these things end up being seated and that was very satisfying i thought yeah absolutely and if this red bug thing hadn't come back in a satisfying way i would have been annoyed yeah but it does I like the line, uh, nobody should have to fight if they don't want to. Mm-hmm. That's what David ends up deciding not deciding not to push Santi into becoming president, but to push him into being an artist. Like the question that he has to, the moral dilemma that he has is whether to give Santi something that's going to make Santi happy or something that's going to be good for the world. Mm-hmm. And we could say and did, like, I don't think it really would be good for the world, but okay, fine, I'll accept your premise. (laughs) Yeah. It's that what David thinks is good for the world isn't necessarily. Like, he doesn't have any special ability to know. He might have, like, predictive abilities and and, um, precognition, but that doesn't mean he has good judgment. Yeah. And I think that's really what this is all about, is David lacks in judgment. Hmm. 
And that is really similar to the Legion TV show. Yeah, absolutely. This Legion is quite different from our our usual David that we talk about. Uh-huh. But they do have some similarities, and that's one of them, is this, like, just not knowing exactly where to focus, big picture, small picture, you know? Yeah, absolutely. He fails, he really, really fails at that. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right on that he is uh, the main kind of concern through the whole volume is David's judgment Mm -hmm. and through the whole TV show. Yeah. And we have, we said, I don't know if this is yet the time to talk about it, but let's, because we're starting to, we said that this is, this volume has really reminded us of uh, season two of Legion. We said that before we started recording. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that it reminds us is this is where like David's lack of judgment is starting to make it seem like, Maybe he's a supervillain instead of a superhero. And by the end of volume two of the comic, we haven't quite got to a turn yet. But I think we're seeing seeds of a turn. Yeah, absolutely. And already here, like already in this issue, that he's going to manipulate. He ends up manipulating him to make him happy, but... That he feels free to manipulate him for political as a political pawn to achieve big world ends that he just assumes are right. He assumes he has like the ability to correctly judge what's best for the world. And then on a whim, he's like, actually, no, I was wrong. I'm gonna do the opposite one. <laughs> you know, like Yeah, exactly. Geez. And the whole time talking about how he's in control of his own like fate basically but then manipulating others fates exactly yeah which is really something that uh tv david also does mm-hmm. absolutely and again it's all about reactivity and proactivity mm-hmm. and this issue and this whole yeah this whole volume reminding us of season two of legion a big part of it is that david has a love interest yeah ruth aka blindfold is starts to be and continues to be his love interest in this issue and so he becomes focused on her and how uh he needs to save her or not save her or whatever and that is very similar to david and sid's relationship on the show and and so that yeah, there's a very strong reminiscence and a strong, a much stronger connection to season two than than season one had with the comics. I really felt like watching season one of Legion and then reading those comics, I was like, they have no connection whatsoever. And now that season two has come out, there's much more mm-hmm. of a connection between them. I think there was some, the themes they were interested in were the same. But the plot notes were totally, absolutely different. Mm -hmm. Whereas in this one, like, there's a vision of the future in this volume. David's trying to decide whether to believe this future or not. He has a girlfriend that, and his relationship with her is going to make a difference to the whole apocalyptic future of the world. Like, he's starting to, uh, his poor judgment is starting to make him do villainous things. Mm-hmm. All of that's very much what we see in season two, even yeah. if the specific details of the plot are completely different. Right? Absolutely. 
So speaking of villainous things, let's get into issue nine, which is called The Judgment of Diana. Mm -hmm. David and Ruth go out on a date and he takes her to the moon. He tells a story of an alien named Arcus who is going to kill all mutants. David presents this story as if it has already happened and then reveals that he has disabled Arcus. Ruth is distraught. So that's just kind of a thumbnail of what happens. But it's really this, like, David says this whole thing happened. This bad guy came and he killed all these people and he killed the X-Men. He should definitely be taken out, right? And then she, and then he's like, it hasn't happened yet. And she goes, oh, you're, you're waiting for my permission. No, I've already done it five hours ago. I think five minutes. Five minutes ago? Yeah. Whatever. So the cover of this issue uh, is David in profile, and his hair is like one of those uh, Victorian brain maps, where like different parts of the brain are responsible for different personality traits. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his hair is made up of different different powers. So there's weather manipulation, telekinesis telepathy, mutation, uh, magnetism, animal morphing, etc. And then it's labeled, figure one, how powerful is Legion? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is maybe the, I think, the strongest connection I see of this issue cover with the topic of the issue is that, is how powerful is Legion? That this is about his power and what is the appropriate use of it mm-hmm. that's not just how powerful is he as in how many different powers does he have but it's how powerful is he as in uh what is right for him what kind is right for him to do in terms of the use of his power right yeah absolutely we start out this issue uh when he takes her to the moon ruth says Promise me uh, you won't forget about oxygen or build a floating clock palace or turn blue and get naked. Yeah. And then she draws a happy face in the sand. And then she draws a happy face in the sand. Uh, And then she says, oh, it's a comic book I read once. Mm -hmm. So these are all references to Watchmen. Mm -hmm. Um, And David Holler Legion is really is in this issue particularly, but really is, uh, does share some similarities to Dr. Manhattan in Watchmen. Yeah. Who, as Ruth says, is a character who has so much power, he forgets how to be human. That's kind of David in both this volume and in the TV show season two. Mm-hmm. Like David's power is disconnecting him from the people around him. From humans and from mutants, both. Yeah, absolutely. And Dr. Manhattan in Watchmen, like, you know, basically becomes a sociopath because he is so disconnected from humans. He doesn't care about little human lives. And then eventually he changes his mind. But, uh, or maybe he doesn't, mm-hmm. or whatever. But that's the danger of the uh, legions facing 
that David Holler's facing throughout this volume, that like his judgment m- might be clouded or his perspective might be clouded to the point that he doesn't care about people really. Mm-hmm. That he's just moving pieces on a chessboard. And that's kind of what we see also of David in the TV show Legion in the last episodes of the season. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I definitely, of all the issues in this volume, this is my favorite by far. It's uh, the way he tells her the story, the way he calms her down, the way it's, I'm about to stop him. No, I've already stopped him. And that's, by the way, another Watchmen. Absolutely. Re- yeah, I was going to say, it's very similar Go to ahead. Watchmen. Oh, that, do you want to explain it? I can't remember that well. Okay. Ozymandias says outlines his plan to Rorschach and Rorsch- and then he doesn't realize that it's already happened. Yeah. To Night Owl and Night Rorschach, Owl. but to Rorschach, to Night Owl especially. He says like, we're going to stop you. And Ozymandias says, do you think I would tell you this if there was any chance? I already did it. Yeah. And the like, if Dr. Manhattan is not exactly a villain in Watchmen, he's ambiguous Ozymandias is the villain of Watchmen, mm-hmm. right? And so when David becomes not just Dr. Manhattan, but he becomes the analog of Ozymandias, uh, that's another signal that David is turning villainous. Yeah. Um, also, this is like a thing that's meta information, but Arcus is a superhero in like Marvel Comics. Oh, really? He's invented by Joe Kirby, by uh, Jack Kirby and Joe Simon, who invented Captain America together. His name, superhero name, is Vi- the Vision. But not like Vision. No. Okay. Interesting. I had no idea of that. Yeah. So he's a pre-existing superhero. They send him to. He sends him to the X Mansion to be dealt with, to be reformed. Yeah. So potentially he could be now become a superhero. Again. I mean, he says there's a a quick line that David says that like in his better days, he pretended to be a superhero. Mm, Okay. There's another like choice of the writer that like you could have made just someone up. Mm. Instead you use someone who was a superhero. Yeah. To be like, Arcus's problem is that his perspective is wrong and his judgment is wrong and his he's seeing from a the wrong perspective but David is so sure that he's seeing from the right perspective mm-hmm. but they're really similar characters yeah so the last three issues 10, 11, and 12 are a three part series called Invasive Exotic So the first issue has, David has read the prophecies of Luca, uh, Blindfold's brother, and talks to Professor X in the Cortex. They make a deal to give David access to his precognition powers if if Professor X is allowed to take control of his body for one minute. David views all the futures and sees himself as a villain and killing Ruth. He wakes and visits an anti-mutant lab where he meets Marcus Glove. They have a pill that takes away powers, and David wants to take it. So the 
cover of issue 10 is a big pill and mutants walk a big pill that is like a door and mutants walking in on the left and coming out on the right like as uh non-mutants mm-hmm. as like i'm trying to think of a word to describe they're like a stereotype of uh you know smiling happy people. smiling happy shiny normal people mm-hmm. and they're like frowny grumpy as they're mutants and the pill says excise 1000 milligrams and then there are, it's like an ad for this pill so there's text that says, do you have a problem with astral projection? Do you suffer from unsightly fur or follicle spines? Do you manipulate quantum foam or squirt acid from your nostrils? Experts say these and many other symptoms of mutinism increase the risk of total planetary annihilation. <laughs> think life. Think human. Think excise. May cause severe and irreparable brain damage. Um, it's very clever. It is very clever. This is another one that I like quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And there's some, I just need to like, one of the mutants is like walking in, seems to be a body with a ice cube head with a fly in it. <laughs> and I don't like, that's great. Yeah. It gives us a, like, this is what this issue is about. Like yeah. this drug that's going to cure mutantism, but causes severe and irreparable brain damage. But uh, David wants to take it because he thinks it'll stop him from destroying the world. Mm-hmm. Right? And we actually don't see in this issue the brain damage as much as the next issue. No. Yeah, we don't see it. But in this issue, we meet this Marcus Glove, who has been the victim of... The, the bystander victim of three different mutant attacks. And so he's in a wheelchair. He's got massive burns. He's missing several limbs. And, and some are replaced with like robotic arms and stuff. And, but he's relentlessly positive and mm-hmm. just want, but wants to change mutants so that they don't cause this world annihilation. And I felt like, I don't know, it was an interesting character to have because of this idea of bystanders that so often get neglected. And I feel like lately people are, especially within comics, not really in the movies, but especially in comics, bringing to light this like, hey, there were people in those buildings that you broke down. There Mm -hmm. were, you know, there's you're setting a city on fire. There's going to be deaths and injuries and lots of things. And so I like that they have this representation of, of um, civilians. Yep. And the metaphor there being of civilians in a war zone and how their lives are irreparably changed. Yeah, for sure. Do you find Marcus Glove similar to Clark from Legion, mm. the show? I did not even think of that. Partly because he's got the burns, mm-hmm. partly because he has a reason to think that mutants are dangerous and mm. it's a legitimate reason, partly because his arguments that he makes of like, we're being, humans are being outcompeted. I mean, maybe that's in the next issue, actually. No, that is this issue. In this issue, like humans are being outcompeted by mutants. That's what uh, Clark says in season one. 
Mm-hmm. But that's what Clark says, that like your kids and my kids in the playground, you know, if we're in competition, you win and I have to do something about that. And that's basically one of Marcus Glove's arguments. Like, I don't hate you, but we have to do something. Yeah. Right? I feel like Marcus Glove is a template for Clark. Yeah, absolutely. I hadn't thought of that, but you're completely right. He's got such a different attitude that I didn't yes. think of that. But his the ideas behind his character are very similar to Clark. Yep. There's also in this issue the like the tree of forking paths that leads to the future. Mm-hmm. Is like that episode in season two where David looks at all the different forking paths of choices that he makes and what that will lead to, right? Yeah. I mean, the TV episode takes the idea much further, but we have the same idea here. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, absolutely. It's he's seeing what all the probabilities are, what all the options are. Yeah. Before we move on to the next issue, I just want to draw one more moment from this issue, which is at the beginning, Blindfold visits David while he's asleep and she's a natural projection. And she gives like this heartfelt speech and she's like, kind of notices him and like, and oh my goodness, you speak, you sleep in the nude. <laughs> and he's just like curled up naked. <laughs> it's really funny. Yeah, it is. It's pretty good. <laughs> and then she like... She's got a blindfold over her eyes and she's blind. Then she covers her her face with her hands and then opens her fingers and peeks through it, even though she doesn't... Anyway. Yeah, she doesn't actually use her eyes to see. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. It is funny. You're right. Um, So issue 11, moving on, is part two of this series. Um... David tours the lab and meets the changed mutants, who are happy, though lobotomized. Meanwhile, Ruth puts a team together in the X-Mansion to go and save David. David is tested by the red demon, who turns out to be Professor X, maybe, (laughs) but still wants the pill, even when the mastermind is revealed to be Red Skull. The cover of issue 11 is another of the excise pills broken open with the little, a lot of little red capsules like there are in pills, you know, uh, making the face of Red Skull and David in the middle of all of that. Mm -hmm. Do you think if you were reading this comic, would that be a spoiler? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, I mean, is it clear that it's actually a red skull? Or is it clear that it's a skull? I think it's quite clever because mm-hmm. it's not, I think, clear that it is the uh, Marvel villain red skull until you know that it is. Yeah. Like, it's clear that it's a skull that is red. <laughs> <laughs> but it could easily have be just like a... a abstract symbolism or like metaphorical symbolism that these pills represent death right mm-hmm. and then you when you read the comic you're like oh you're telling me right on the cover that red skull is the bad guy in yeah. this comic i think it's and really clever and i suppose clever. the whole thing about it is it doesn't matter 
David does not care that it's Red Skull. No. It's not a big reveal. It's not, he just, like, as he's, Red Skull is trying to reveal himself, David gives a big speech about how he does not care. He's like, yeah, I saw this coming. I know that it's going to be someone. Let's get on with it. I still want the pill. I love it. Mm -hmm. I love that Red Skull does his, like, unmasking, just like he does all the time, but, uh, like exactly the way he does it in Captain America movie. Yep. Pulls off the mask to reveal Red Skull and we're all supposed to gasp and David is just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's played so well. It's one of my favorite moments in the whole volume. Mm-hmm. I also love in this issue, Dr. Nina Ambrose pointing out that like the whole premise of mutants is kind of dumb. <laughs> Mm-hmm. She's like, what's her speech? She says, uh, you seriously think human DNA has a latent code for vehicle designing? <laughs> Just waiting for the right mutation to open it up? Demon summoning? Computer hacking? Please. <laughs> <laughs> and her conclusion is, you know, this is something alien is manipulating it. It's not natural. Yeah. But I just love that, like, Actually, mutants don't make any sense. No. <laughs> because of course they don't. Of course they don't. If they all had the same mutation, it would make sense. But the fact sort that it's of. like all completely random different mutations, it, yeah, it makes no sense at all. I love it. My other uh, specific question in this issue is the little like Slimer mutant in the X-Mansion, who speaks in symbols. Mm-hmm. And in this issue, Ruth is like, I have never understood what you're saying. Gotta go. Is he ever gonna matter? Like, is that just a running gag, or is there anything to that? Well, we haven't read the next two volumes. So I don't know if he... And I, and I haven't read enough X-Men to know if he's, like, a thing. Yeah, me neither. So I just assumed he's a running gag. Okay. But we'll see. He's a bit weird. He is. Yep. I like, uh, or I found it interesting, the like, we'll give you this pill that'll take away your mutant powers, but it's it's very much a metaphor for, like, lobotomizing. Yeah. Like, they just take away their brain. Yeah. And in the last issue, Marcus Clove says something like, I won't sugarcoat it, this is... uh, unpleasant and by any metric it's severe brain damage Mm -hmm. like and then we see that in this issue that they're not you know like they're not they've had we'll put it this way they have had damage to their intelligence yeah right absolutely well i mean it's interesting too because this was the plot of the third, the second X-Men movie mm-hmm. in the 90s. Um, the third, I think. And in that, it was just a straight up cure. They were, you know, mutant and then they weren't mutant. And so it was very tempting. And this, I feel like, feels more realistic that there's a cure, but it's dirty. You mm-hmm. know, it's the way you kill cancer is by almost killing the person, you know, the way you kill a mutation is by messing their brain up. Yeah. They can't exist outside their mutation in a normal way. 
you can't just take away that part of a person and have them be okay. Yeah. And I think that's a really good metaphor for all sorts of things that you can't just take a part of someone's personality away easily. And it, yeah, and that like changing something that's a part of someone's identity is severe damage. Mm-hmm. They don't walk away from that. Like in, I remember in the X Men movie that, you know, they're the characters who argue about the cure are like Beast and Storm. And you're like, Storm, really? Your mutation is that you are a weather god and otherwise are pass as normal. He's blue and furry all the time. Those are not equivalent. Like, yep, exactly. Whereas in this, uh, because the cure has serious, a serious downside, I feel like it's a much more difficult choice. Yeah. Like, if you were someone like Beast, I guess it's, you know, you change who you are. But if you change who you are and there isn't really a downside on the other side of it, it is a little pat. Mm-hmm. You know? It becomes just about you have to be who you are because you have to be who you are. Whereas this metaphorically represents that, like, changing who you are destroys who you used to be. Yeah. Right? And maybe sometimes that's a good thing, and maybe sometimes it's not. And kind of what they're presenting for the first two issues is David thinks it's a good thing. Because David is, I don't care if I'm brain damaged, I'm not going to destroy the world. Or he thinks it's worth worth it. Yeah. A necessary evil. I think no one in this book, I don't think that the book ever presents it to us as if it's a good thing. Yeah. But it presents as if it might be a worthwhile thing anyway, a necessary evil or something that's worth the pain of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in issue 12, our final issue, David goes on live TV to take the pill, but Ruth's team step in to stop him at the last moment. They look like murderers on the live TV stream until Santi shows up, and everyone adores him instead. Red Skull fights the group, and Professor X takes over David to fight him. Red Skull gets away, but everything seems to turn out okay in the end. Sort of. The cover of this issue is Red Skull... uh, in profile from the shoulders down, we see just a bit of his chin. He's wearing a brown coat with a red armband, like a Nazi red armband. And the, instead of the swastika, it's an X for, that leads into the words X-Men legacy. Mm-hmm. So Fairly simple, but effective. Red, red Skull is a Nazi. Yep. Um, side note, I can't remember all of the reason why, but this year there was some, like, conversation where people in the Marvel world were like, Red Skull was never a Nazi, because they're like, we want to be allowed to be white supremacist Nazis, but still think that we are the good guys of comics. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, no, this this issue, for example, calls Red Skull a Nazi a whole bunch of times. (laughs) Yeah. True story. Anyway. Side note. Um, This is where we get the payoff of everything, right? Everything that's been seeded all comes together in this uh, issue. How does it all work for you? I find it a bit confusing, Mm -hmm. to be honest. I still don't really get exactly how it 
all played out in the end. Who the Professor X guy was in his head who took over for a while and why he took over. He took over to beat Red Skull. Red Skull possibly has the brain of Professor X. Yeah, that is super... I'll definitely agree with you that that is super unclear and confusing. Red Skull did all this because he has Professor X's brain. Has in what sense? Like in his head? Mm -hmm. Or in a jar? (laughs) Unclear. Very unclear. Okay, go on. But, uh... I really like the, like you, like we said earlier, the callbacks to previous issues with Santi showing up and kind of saving the day for them, with the pill being exactly the same as the pill that he takes in, like, the motion that he's about to take the pill is the same as in the church, and there's the, and he says deja vu, because it's the same kind of taking it away as mm-hmm. yep. before. It's just really clever, all those callbacks. I, so I don't find this, like, who exactly Professor, Golden Professor X in David's head is, I don't know that I find that confusing so much as it's not Professor X and we don't know yet who it is and it's someone who's not Professor X. Like, that's the answer. Mm-hmm. Who it is, we haven't been told yet. I don't think that, to me, is some, is a, something worth puzzling until we get more information. Mm-hmm. Right, it was weird in issue ten when suddenly there were two Professor X's, but then they solved that pretty quickly. That the other one is not Red Skull is not Professor X. He's just using Professor X's powers and has his memories and like how that works. I don't know. That's confusing. But uh, Red Skull isn't Professor X. And by the end of this issue, we know that Golden Person in David's head is not Professor X either. Mm-hmm. Whoever he is, he is not Professor X. Right. Right. And in terms of the plot of what happens, it all happens pretty on top of each other. But, like, this was all David's plan all along. Yes, absolutely. That I find a little unsatisfying. Hmm. I feel a little lied to. Yeah. Or not a little. Like, this is a difference between... And in issue one, we saw that already. Mm-hmm. That, like, at the end of the issue, like, David had a secret plan and everything that the narrative has told us was not actually what David was wanting to achieve in this issue. Mm-hmm. And now here we're like, that has been true for the entire volume. Mm-hmm. And like, in an issue was one thing, <laughs> but in the volume, I feel a little like, you need to be a little more fair with me. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not playing fair with the audience. Yeah. And it's... um we're in David's head so much. Yes. So for him to be like completely hiding this from the audience doesn't really make sense. Yes. But that's also kind of what the show is like. I mean, David's an unreliable narrator. I just feel like in this last issue, we needed a little bit more, at least, at the very least, I needed a little bit more to justify how unreliable he has been to us. Yeah. They, it just felt like they pulled the rug out from under me mm-hmm. and was like, nope, this is what. But like earlier there was like he was hiding in his brain and saying different things because he didn't want different parts of his brain to understand him. And like, okay, I'll accept that. But that's not what's happening by the end of the volume anymore. Mm-hmm. So why don't we know what he knows? Yeah. There needs to be some. And like 
you know, he's an unreliable narrator when he's telling Ruth the whole story of Arcus. That was great. Yeah, that was really well done. he was telling the story and he was lying. Mm-hmm. Right? Or, you know, misrepresenting what's true. This time, he's lying to us for three issues. And the end of issue two is like, I want, or issue 12 or whatever, uh, the second of these three-part runs. Mm-hmm. Is like, I want the pill. I don't care about any of this. And then the next issue is like, ah, psych, I did care. (laughs) Yeah. Right? There's a little, I liked all the things that have been seeded coming back together. I loved Santi coming back. I loved that uh, things that we saw foreshadowed pay off in this issue. I loved the like, when he thought that I was looking to the end prophecy, I was actually looking at this. Mm-hmm. That was all great, but I didn't love the way that I, I, it felt like they lied to me to make me believe something that wasn't true. I guess the reasons are that he's he has to lie within his own head because the guy, the golden guy, is in his head, right? Um. So there's that whole thing where, like, you know I can hear your thoughts, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which I quite like that when you're in David's head, it's like this whole building, it's this whole series of rooms that's like the cortex or whatever, and there's all these people there. But then his thoughts, his speech bubble thoughts are being projected through a loudspeaker <laughs> because yeah. it's in his head. <laughs> I absolutely love that. That is an element of these comics that I love every time. I love the image of his hell as uh, his head as a bunch of cells Mm -hmm. and by the end of this issue golden guy is in a cell and doesn't look like professor x anymore at all yeah um so all that's great and i kind of like it's a bit anticlimactic in one sense but i also really like uh i kind of like the anticlimax of like Red Skull wanted to create a martyr because he wants to create, like, he is a fascist and Mm. wants to create martyrs and scapegoats. Yeah. And David just defuses that by making both the martyr and the scapegoat the same person through the glory hug. Yeah. And then it just doesn't make sense and people are like, shrug. (laughs) Yeah. People don't care anymore if they have to make a decision. I think that's really well done, actually. Mm -hmm. And I really like Red Skull as, like, he's not invested in hating mutants. No. They're a scapegoat. Mm-hmm. Right? I think that displays, a makes a very cogent point about uh, fascism and dictators and scapegoats that, like, whatever convenient scapegoat, it's not because he hates mutants. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He don't care about mutants. <laughs> I liked that. I yeah. liked all that stuff. Also, one of my favorite lines of the volume is in this issue, which is Natsu with a jetpack. Yeah. <laughs> Guys? Guys? Natsu, Natsu with a jetpack. Yeah. He's getting away. <laughs> that was really funny. <laughs> yep. So, overall, this volume definitely had a lot in common with Legion that we've mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um do we think that this kind of reveals anything that might happen in the show? Or anything we'd like to see that happens in the comic that ha- would happen in the show? 
I think the idea of um, we've had a little bit in the show already, but I think that we can maybe based on this comic expect to see a little bit more dealing with uh, identity that like, what does it mean to destroy a part of yourself for, you know, whatever reason. Mm -hmm. That's something that this issue deals with that I haven't seen much on the show, but I can imagine the show moving along with. How about you? I'd love to see the cortex Hmm, more. Yes. Because we're getting parts of that, like it's we're kind of building up to that in the show, that we're getting a sense of David talking to himself within his own head. We're seeing him kind of access different powers. I'd love to see that more visually represented. And I'm hoping that that happens. Because it's a trippy psychedelic show. You could so easily just go into his head and have things happen. Yeah, totally. Even more. And I'd love to see that as we go on. Yeah. We saw... Actually, we didn't visualize it, but the way that the Shadow King had Oliver and Lenny kind of in cells in his mind is how they described it. Mm-hmm. Seems very reminiscent of this. Yeah, right? absolutely. If we saw that visualized, that would be very cool. Yeah. I guess when we did see David talk to two of, it, two of himself. Yes, and that was a little bit like this. And I wish I would love to see more because it's Legion. He should have tons and tons of people in there. Mm-hmm. And I'd li- like to see that represented a little more. Yep. Agreed. So I think we'll be back with uh, the next volume, volume three, which uh, we will read and record on in the next two weeks here, I think. Yeah. So I'd say we'll rec- two weeks. Yeah. Expect us back in your feed. Uh, volume three is what? Issues 13 to... <laughs> 19? 13 to 19. Right. And you can find those on through the Marvel app or on Google Books or probably other places too. Mm-hmm. Uh, let us know if you have thoughts and questions. You can find us on Twitter at ClockworksCast. You can find us on email, clockworkscast at gmail.com. We'd be happy to hear any of your thoughts, questions, insights, perspectives on any of the stuff we've talked about. Uh, we're always excited to hear from you. And as we said at the beginning of the show, this was possible through uh, re- reaching a Patreon goal. If you want to help us reach our next Patreon goal and more, you can do that patreon.com slash clockworkscast. I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. Goodbye.